change agents. This is Hui Do. And this is Demida Menezes. And it's May 2021, and we're sitting in a restaurant for the first time in a year and a half. And it feels weird, but good. For a brief second, it feels like we're back to how life was before the pandemic, and that Chicago's vibrant restaurant industry is quickly coming back to normal. But is it really normal? Even though things look lively, for the past year, the restaurant industry was disproportionately affected by the pandemic compared to other industries. Restaurants were forced to close down for months, had to deal with little guidance, forced to pivot to takeout and delivery before finally just getting the green light to open up again. But sometimes I wonder about the people behind these restaurants, the people who made our food, mixed our drinks, gave us quality table service, and made sure everything is clean and safe when these restaurants close every night. How have they survived throughout the pandemic? How are they doing now? And what are their plans going forward? And speaking of that, I've also been hearing a lot of stories about a nationwide labor shortage for the hospitality industry, where restaurant owners are desperately trying to fill open positions to no avail. How could this happen? And why aren't restaurant workers willing to come back to the industry? On this episode of Change Agents, the two of us set out to find the answer to these questions and examine the hidden disparities behind Chicago's restaurant industry and beyond. And it all starts with one lively and energetic man. My name is Osvaldo Valenzuela. Social justice it motivates me a lot. I cannot stay without help people. Doesn't matter what, I need to do something about it. Osvaldo and his partner Allison Baker are lead organizers for the Chicago chapter of the Restaurant Opportunity Center. When I started to Rock Chicago was in January last year. And in March, everything changed because of the pandemic. But our mission is protect and provide training to this uh, restaurant worker and provide them different tools. And at the same time, we protect the uh, worker right. For example, if a restaurant have an issue about, about tips or about salaries, we fight for that. We, we start a case and we're looking for lawyers. We, if we need to do a coalition, we do what we did. And we, if we need to uh, send out a petition, we did. We just send out a petition about right back to work. When COVID-19 took its hold on the restaurant industry, Osvaldo and Allison started helping individual workers, especially those who lost their job, with their everyday survival. They sent out checks to those who needed money. They contacted restaurant owners to make sure workers are being rehired. And if that wasn't possible, they helped worker transition to a new line of work, even if it's temporary. One such worker is Ismael Enriquez. He's a bartender, teacher, and now a COVID-19 contact tracer. We met Ismail on the porch of his new apartment on an unusually warm and sunny afternoon. He was nursing an iced spirit in his hand, and he led us into his kitchen, where he fixed us a cocktail he called the lemon drop. Lemon drops, so pretty much is vodka, sugar, uh, some lime juice. I shake it up, so I go like... When Ismail was a child growing up in Bucktown, his parents owned a family restaurant, and that's also where he learned how to mix drinks. And although his mixology is top-notch, it's actually his charisma, empathy, and dedication to social justice that makes him shine. i always been a people person since I was a kid. <laughs> I think my mother used to tell me that all the time. She's like, why don't you shut up already? <laughs> so I was introduced to Rock Chicago about seven years ago regarding, you know, um, 
how some of the staff or people that worked in the food and beverage industry were being mistreated as far as low uh, stolen wages or not being paid according to uh, the federal laws. Also fighting for better uh, living wages, uh, sick days and vacation days, which a lot of these people did not have. Also for people that were undocumented, they were not being treated um, Right. After spending more than a decade bartending across America, Ismail settled in Chicago and he became an instructor for the Bassett Certificate, teaching individuals from undeserved communities how to professionally serve alcohol. It was an honor to meet so many students in the southeast side of Chicago that came from uh, communities that were very vulnerable. So they didn't have no ethics, no people skills. They didn't know how to engage with other people. They didn't have no idea of how the mechanism of working a glass or serving a wine or just presenting yourself to other people. So I would take them on trips to downtown. Uh, they were embarrassed to go into a hotel because they felt they were like um, poor. So that was very, um, to me, to see how you know, comfortable, it's getting them out of their comfort zone to say, you know what, even if you come from a low-income community, it's okay for you to come in to a restaurant that's a five-star because at the end of the day, you are the star, you are the bartender, you're the one that's going to bring happiness to all these people that come into this this establishment that's a five, four star, and you are the star. So they're like, wow, we are that? I'm like, yes, you are. You're making drinks for people. You're bringing happiness to people. You're putting the music on. You're bringing a smile. You're engaging with individuals from all over the world, and you are the person that's bringing that to life. There's no questioning that bartending, teaching, and advocacy are Ismail's lifelong passions. But when COVID-19 came into the picture, Ismail had to let his passion go and transition into a new line of work in order to survive. So at that point, uh, that's when I was an instructor and the funding got off and we, I was not able to teach the class anymore. Um, I had to leave my apartment because I was evicted, had to move with my parents and my other brother and my other brothers. It was like, you know, I felt at one point that she wanted to just say, get out, <laughs> get out of my house. So I guess she felt that, oh, we're running out of money, what are we going to do next? So the frustration of not having food on the table for the next six months or what's going to happen in the next three months. What about if one of us gets sick? What about if I get sick? What about if I die? What about if he dies? You know, so that's the other thing that brought a lot of, uh, you know, frustration in the family. I kept on just having hope and, and praying. Um, at that point, I had gotten a, uh, there was a grant for um, COVID-19 uh, to become an agent. So that was an avenue that opened up not only financially, but I was able to become independent and then uh, move out of my mother's house and was able to, you know, have a better quality of life. You know? Leaving the hospitality industry wasn't a choice that came easily to Ismail, but it was this choice that allowed him to start rebuilding his life. But for a large population of restaurant workers in the United States who may not have proper documentation, that choice to leave or to stay may not be so readily available. I came here in 91, 1991. I was 16 and a half. Uh, came across the border. That's Chris, an undocumented server who lives and works on the north side of Chicago. Uh, back then, you know, money in Mexico is really scarce. Like there are, where I come from, there are no jobs. Uh, my reason for living was to help my parents build a house, you know, help them. I wanted to go to school. And I started working as, uh, at this, where my uncle was working as a, as a busboy, I started doing uh, maintenance, which was five days a week at night, working from 10 until 
four in the morning. And then I slowly started going to school, slowly. And then I got, I started uh, doing dishes and then I started bussing tables and then I started doing uh, serving. And then I became like a supervisor. I got my GED after that. Then I switched to my other job. That was in like the spring of like 99. And I've been, I've been there since. Life in America was tough for Chris. As an undocumented person, Chris's life has always been full of uncertainty. Servers, after all, rely primarily on tips. So some days he would finish a shift with a few hundred dollars and other days, barely anything at all. Everything got even more complicated when his family came into the picture. The first time he had children, they were twins that arrived prematurely, had a slim chance to live, and ultimately only one of them was able to be saved. During that period of his life, Chris would bounce between early morning shifts at the restaurant, caring for his children at the hospital, and compulsively going on long runs to work off the stress. Chris was under so much pressure, he developed a thyroid disorder that he spent years recovering from without health insurance or benefits. All this he carried on his shoulders, never knowing if there's ever going to be a moment where he would be forced to leave the country. When I got married back in the day, like laws have changed. Uh, I try and people assume that because you're married to a citizen, you can fix your status. And that wasn't the case with my kid's mom. We try, we couldn't. Back then, it was would have been really hard on their mom and them if I had because I was gonna probably be sent back to Mexico for maybe a few months, maybe ten years, maybe who knows. So I never took a chance. That has made it harder for me, and I want to travel. I want to do things. I want to go to school, and I want to get some kind of benefits, and you know, and we don't have it. Over the pandemic, it's been very challenging. Again, uh, there there are millions million of people in my position that had no aid or a little bit of assistance from the ROC, from ROC or non-profit organizations who help with grants to help people like me and many. To further understand the challenges restaurant workers have to confront on a grander scale, we spoke to Dr. Nyla Hoffman from DePaul University, who collaborated with ROC Chicago to produce a study called Oral Histories of Restaurant Workers During COVID-19. According to Dr. Hoffman, there exists a hierarchy between managers, customers, and restaurant workers that often leads to workers facing abuse on many fronts. This power struggle and workplace abuse have only been made worse by the constraints of COVID-19. In addition, the study also found that some restaurants simply lack diversity by not employing people of color. This hiring discrimination, coupled with other issues such as sexual harassment, made it difficult for marginalized workers to advance into higher positions or feel comfortable and safe at work. Unfortunately, over the pandemic, discrimination also played a huge role in who got to keep their jobs and who had to be furloughed. Disparity and the disparity between documented folks and undocumented folks was that, you know, for some people, being laid off was an opportunity to rewind, rewind themselves, find themselves, do something different, get out of the rat race of the restaurant business. Well, for other people, it was like they couldn't make ends meet. They started to get evicted. They, they were not able to put food on the table for their families, let alone send money back home. Uh, home being somewhere outside of the United States, which was the whole communities and whole families and people would count on that money. So there were all kinds of repercussions, like a rippling effect that would occur. But another thing to keep in mind, that is also this disparity is also along racial lines. 
Because what you have in the United States is that you have the white people working in sort of the front of the house, and then you have people of color working in the back of the house. Now, not all people in the front of the house are making good money because hostesses usually make little money. Okay, servers make most, and actually bartenders make most. Uh, and bartenders tend to be, guess what? Typically, white men. These issues existed prior to the pandemic. As the two of us record this episode, the U.S. is rapidly vaccinating its population and the restaurant industry is preparing itself for a full reopening. But for the restaurant workers who were abandoned by this industry, coming back isn't so simple. Ismail, for example, plans to continue doing contact tracing and remote teaching, at least for now. I really miss it a lot. I miss making drinks. I miss talking to people. I uh, miss uh, engaging with people, so I do want to do it. Um, I just got extended another year for the contract, but I do want to continue teaching the class. Um, so Rock Chicago and I are working on a contract to teach the class either virtually or um, you know, face-to-face. We're working on that, so that's something that I'm looking forward to work with Rock Chicago to continue to teach the class and also advocate for, um, for people of color for women uh, and for everyone that works in the industry as far as uh, better wages, sick pay, and social justice. As for Chris, because of his undocumented status, things are a lot more complicated. If I leave, I don't know what I'm going to do with if I have this, you know, this job is not banned because it's, you know, it's in the daytime. We close at 2.30 every day, open early, so I can actually practice what I like and, you know, see my kids or just do other things if I wanted to. Going full-time music, I, I don't I don't think it's possible right now, but I, I also think that I need to do something else other than serving, you know, for just, sometimes I think that I'm almost 48, and it's hard, you know, walking all day and weekends. Again, I have evenings free, but then I know that I have to be up early like the next day. I can't just go party all night and then <laughs> on the weekends because I have to work, and it's hard to... So I'm thinking for the future, I want to do something different that I can make a living. But for now, this is it. <laughs> During our conversation, Chris told us that he has two children, one of which is about to head to college. We asked Chris if he would ever want his children to work in the restaurant industry, and he says, No, I do not. But also, I don't think it's a bad job. There are up and downs. That There are some that you make a lot of money, but you don't, you don't get any benefits. So you have to be smart and put money away. Where I am is not so bad, but it's not enough, especially when you have a family, when you have to provide for your kids at least. Ismail and Chris's experiences are examples of a bigger shift taking place in the hospitality industry. As we mentioned earlier, we are hearing a lot of talk about restaurant owners being desperate to find workers willing to come in. And among these stories, we're hearing a common narrative that restaurant workers are lazy, unmotivated, and willing to sit at home collecting unemployment checks. But the truth is, restaurant work is often difficult and thankless. And after surviving through a deadly pandemic, it's no wonder some workers are asking if it's worth it after all. To truly understand the nuances behind this issue, we spoke with Jennifer Kim, who is a former chef and restaurant owner, and currently a facilitator working in food. So A, there is no shortage of folks wanting to work. there is a call for better pay, better treatment, you know, better protection of workers. 
And if we're not getting that from our employers, then we are finding alternative ways to make money uh, by either working for ourselves or completely leaving the service industry altogether to pursue other career options that do you know, offer better protection for us. And there's like this really wrongful societal idea that you know, service jobs are not quote unquote, not by choice jobs. There's a stigma that it's fulfilled by people who couldn't really cut their teeth in other industries, or this is, you know, really the only job that they could find, which is completely wrong. And the people who work at this industry are extremely skilled at what they do. Um, you know, it requires a level of dexterity, um, social and emotional intelligence, quick problem solving, uh, de-escalation skills. And this is all in conjunction with doing the primary functions of your job, which is, you know, either cooking or serving or running or washing. At the end of our conversation, Chef Jennifer Kim assured us that we're all witnessing a major hospitality movement led by a worker collective full of black, brown, and undocumented people. And supporting these workers on the front lines of this movement are organizations like Rock Chicago. So we asked Osvaldo and his partner Allison what their priorities for the future are, and they said, I want people to be able to return to work, but I want them to return to work safely. And I don't want them to have to work for like really bad, crappy working conditions where they're being sexually harassed and having to put up with jerks who don't want to put on masks and unsafe, unsanitary working conditions. Um, so I think having a job with dignity is one of my main priorities for the fall and making sure that restaurant owners are taking responsibility and keeping their restaurant workers safe and paid. One of the priorities for me now is how we can get benefit for the worker. Number two, provide education. I think education is the most important thing because when you are not educated, it's the best ally to the discrimination because you don't know your right. And that's the one thing we start to do, teach the people about their right. You know, uh, and some law, some, some federal law is there to protect. Uh, so the state law is there for, to protect. If we don't have law, we need to fight for create new law, but you need to speak up and try to address the issue. Neither Rock Chicago nor the workers they are supporting are struggling at this alone. As consumers and participants in this industry, all of us have the choice and the ability to get involved. As a final note, here's what Chef Jennifer Kim has to say about how we can all be conscientious consumers. So that can even be something as small as like understanding where are you putting your money, right? Like how is that company treating their workers? How are they treating their community? How are they actually like, what are their actionable items um, to stand behind these like really vague, like big social statements that they're putting out? Um, Do they have a tipping model? Do they do away with that? Because the tipping model is, you know, it's completely racist. Um, Do they have full transparency of pay and benefits from owners to managers to hourly workers? Uh, Are they trying to get rid of like trivial hierarchy systems? Like what is their accountability policy? What is their transformative justice policy? You know, like we have to stop being blind consumers, right? And that like, we're all consumers. Like we can be workers, we can be consumers, like we can be both, but really just understanding that like, we have the collective power to demand accountability and demand change from companies like that's huge. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Change Agents podcast. I'm Demita Menezes. And I'm Huido. 
Thank you for joining Change Agents. Produced by Juneteenth Productions with funding support from the Chicago Community Trust and the Field Foundation. Please subscribe to our series on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Do you have a story to share? Join us in the ongoing conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, changeagentsthepodcast.com.